At the T-minus three-minute mark, tape recorders on board the spacecraft were turned on. These recorders record both voice and data. This is WOMMLP operating out of Burlington, Vermont, 105.9 The Radiator, It's a Rocket Shop. I'm your host, once again, Tom Proctor. With me tonight is Don Sheldon from Valley Productions. Good evening, Don. How's it going? It's going great, Tom. That's Valley Stage Productions. Valley Stage Productions. okay. What did I just say? You dropped the stage. It's oh, sorry. Okay. Did I just say Valley Productions? Not a problem. I'm streamlining the, the name for you. Excellent. Just, that, that one's for free. And it's just Don. That's <laughs> Um... So, Don, um, you're in tonight to talk about a couple of things, um, the first of which is a film you're showcasing. Yeah. Um, I'd mentioned earlier I attend this music festival, a, con- a conference, actually, Folk Alliance International. It takes place in Kansas City every year. Mm-hmm. There's about 3,500 people in the industry, um, about 800 artists, but every once in a while there'll be a, a different thing being presented. And this year there was a woman out of... Um, Austin, Texas. Her name's Rain Perry, and she had produced this movie, and it was called The Shopkeeper, and it's about a gentleman named um, Mark Hallman, who's been in the business since the 70s. He had worked with Carol King, Dan Fogelberg. He recently worked with Ani DeFranco, and he's kind of this magnet for people who want to have the creative juices of somebody who's committed to doing work, um, not necessarily in exchange for monetary uh, reciprocity but he just was really committed and yet this movie is there primarily to talk about the uh, disintegration of the revenue stream from recording Mm -hmm. music and how people are still hanging on romantically to creating a life knowing that they're going to have to do it primarily from live performances and on a rare occasion you know getting a check for 10 bucks from Spotify or Mm -hmm. Pandora or whomever so it's Primarily, I wanted to bring it to just have it as a forum at uh, Burlington City Arts where it'll be at 7 o'clock on Friday mm-hmm. and give people a chance to witness this, maybe to generate some conversation. I don't have any answer to the problem by any means, but I'm always curious to see um, what people's thoughts are about trying to make it, trying to get exposure. I'd like to talk about some of the um, showcases that I would suggest people possibly go to if they're willing to make the commitment outside of this immediate area to possibly further their um, careers. Um, It so happens next week I'm going to Edinburgh to the Fringe Festival for a few days and then continuing on to Tunner Festival in Denmark Mm. where I'm primarily going as a presenter to witness eight bands in hopes that when they come to this part of the world, I can find them a gig. Mm-hmm. And that's primarily what I do when you look at the concert series. They're all touring acts that are not, they're not Vermont-based acts. They're all acts that I try to bring from other parts of the world here. Um, but the shopkeeper is the main reason I'm here. I love to see people show up for it. It's about an hour and a half long. Some really interesting elements to it, and I think a lot of people could have some empathy by watching this and possibly stimulating conversation with others around what their experience has been in trying to make a career out of being in the music industry. So I'm guessing, uh, the f- I mean, you put on, uh, you put on other uh, musical productions as we were talking about festivals and uh, studio sessions um, and, and kind of regular series. So I'm guessing uh, this subject is quite close to your heart, the, what the, the film kind of showcases. Um, 
what was it about the film that kind of stuck with you after seeing it? And why, why were you like, right, this film is something that I need to bring back to Vermont and, and have a conversation around it? I think it was about telling a story of somebody who isn't necessarily on the radar, who's vital, who's committed, passionate, sticks with it, um, isn't expecting to be an overnight sensation. He's been at it forever. And he affects people in his circle who are drawn to him. I mean, Ana DeFranco just moved into his place for a few months to work on a few albums. She was so committed to what he was able to present as a producer, as an instrumentalist. Um, it's just this really refreshing, passionate energy. And uh, I always get drawn to that. Um, and it's not like I'm necessarily in love with his music, but I'm in love with his, his passion for what he's doing and how other people respond to him. Okay. And, and what kind of questions are you hoping uh, is drawn from um, people watching this? Well, um, it's much, as much as questions, I want people to give their own experience and, the, and essentially tell me what they've been able to gain from the recording process. Um, did they come to it thinking, oh, this is going to get me exposure, I'm going to make a lot of money? Um, is there something else to be gained from the recording process in the form of generating chemistry with other artists, learning something about yourself in the process, the rest of the um, serendipity, as it were, of interacting with other people within the environment. I'm all about staying in motion. That's my whole underwriting credo, is don't plan anything. Just stay in motion, stay awake, and things will be presented to you that hopefully you'll take the opportunity of. Now, uh, I mean, coming from a millennial mindset, from where right. I'm coming from, uh, that, that interaction between artists, I feel, still happens. It just doesn't happen maybe in a physical space. It happens over the internet. It happens with collaborations on, like, for instance, like uh, SoundCloud mm -hmm. um, and other music-sharing websites. So you, do, you, do you feel... Personally, I, felt, I feel that the... Um, the instruments for exposure are still there mm -hmm. uh, but they've just gone to a different place and actually potentially have more power in that place because you can kind of project it to the world rather than just within your own realm uh, is, that an, is that something you share as well or do you feel that we've lost something by not being able to record in or uh, not as many people recording in these shared spaces anymore I don't know that I necessarily feel one way or, or another, except for the fact that the interactive live experience is more close to what I've always been a part of. Mm -hmm. In fact, that conference that I mentioned to you, it's all these people being complicit, staying up until 3.30 in the morning, four nights in a row, sh showcasing their talents and playing with each other and knowing that this is not something that I could create online mm -hmm. or in a sound cloud. It might be a different dynamic and there could be other possibilities. But I've just seen such magic happen in the live setting, people moving into the open lobbies and just starting to play and moving into the I don't even know without that communication, that live communication, whether those same kind of um, relationships would evolve. They'd be different. Mm -hmm. they're, not neither, they're neither good nor bad, but they're just different. It's ironic. I just came from a dinner with my uh, girlfriend's nephew who just graduated from the Berkeley Master's Program at Valencia, which is this in its incredible combination of he plays Cape Breton, but he also does high-end electronic stuff. I couldn't even begin to tell you what mm -hmm. he does, but he was talking about mastering some people's stuff. 
and that he's going down the road of trying to do that as getting a way into the industry, um, taking somebody's work that's already been done and then mastering mm-hmm. it in a certain way. You understand that? Yeah. Yeah. So in any event, that's something that I'm new to uh, and don't fully appreciate what it, what it is, but I'm curious about it. I want to know, I want to know it all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am more about providing, uh, the opportunity for acts that I like yeah. to be showcased in Vermont, ideally in a setting that is intimate. I'm all about doing listening room stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm all about the focus being the performance. I don't want somebody to be incidental to a bar scene. It drives me nuts. Yeah. Um, so that's what I'm trying to create. And I do. I have relationships with another of venues. I mean, I've done mm-hmm. stuff at Higher Ground, Flint Space. I'm doing stuff with the Zen Barn this year. I've producing a couple of churches, depending on who the band is. Uh, well, okay, let, let's se- let's segue to the uh, over to your the library performances that you implement sure. you put on um, so there's, there's a number that you've been doing um, but from what I can tell or what I could tell on your website is it all kind of kicked off in 2006 that's when the Valley Stage Music Festival started yeah. okay and you've been putting on gigs before the Valley Stage Music Festival actually no my history was working in television production okay. many years ago I used to be in New York ironically enough I came here and worked in that area for one year but I couldn't make a living, so I ended up getting in another industry, which we won't get into, <laughs> but that allowed for me to do this okay. more full form now that I'm retired. All right. And I did the music festival for 10 years, literally in my front yard, but it, it's right in this valley that faces Camel's Hump. We can get mm-hmm. about 600 people in there. It's a natural amphitheater. It was a really sweet spot. Oh, wow. And I'd bring in like two quote-unquote national touring acts, a lot of them being ones that were out of the Berkeley area. You know, a lot of the Berkeley kids come out and... They have bluegrass instrumentation, but they play something totally their own voice. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I was trying to bring to this area. And yet I would bring, I brought Robbie Folks from Chicago, who I'm actually doing in conjunction with the UVM Lane series this year. They've asked me to program a show for them there. And I brought the Waybacks from California. So I, I try to get acts about nine to 12 months in advance to say, here's your destination. And mm-hmm. you can try to route something around this nine months out. And um, you just hope that the band that you booked is still intact when yeah. they finally show up. <laughs> awesome being so made to bust up in a studio. I've had it happen a couple of times. Um, <laughs> and then I tried to bring a couple of um, local Vermont acts, but it was only a one-day thing. We had mm-hmm. like five, five acts. We had great staging and lighting. We shot everything on video. And I tried to do it, you know, 100%, but um, it always cost me money. And you, it, you never, never made a profit? Never made this? a profit monetarily. See, that, a profit with your soul. I got to tell you, man, I used to undermine the experience of the day by looking at the bottom line. Yeah. And I really got to the point where I'm fortunate enough to be in a position where I could say, you know, this is not a business. This mm-hmm. is a gift. And you have to look at it that way. Because if you deny yourself this because of the bottom line, then who are you? Mm-hmm. What, what are you what's your contribution? What are you doing? So some people buy cars. I buy live music. It's an admirable thing to buy. At least you can share live music better than you can share cars. That's true. That's true. And I've made out okay on occasion. I've uh, I've done well, made good deals, sold out shows. Other ones, I've, it's cost me large. Mm-hmm. I did some stuff at Spruce Peak Performing Arts Center last year. They asked me to program four shows. And whereas three of the shows, they were giving me some money, and I was putting a little skin in the game and trying mm-hmm. to make it back in ticket sales. One show I thought it was going to be great, so I rented the place. Mm-hmm. I got hammered. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got hammered. A big, a big black money pit hole. Too large. And um, 
I thought the show was going to do great. I had to sell 165 tickets to break even. They had yeah. 400 seats, and I sold 48. Ouch. So you can do the math pretty quick. But anyway, I'm fine about taking those opportunities, throwing something at it, and knowing it's not always going to pay off, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. But I'm fortunate enough to be in a position where I can do this, and, and I don't have any kids. Mm-hmm. house is paid for you know, whatever. You'll be okay. You'll still be able I'm to fine. eat tomorrow. Yes, that's yes. good. I that's won't have to stand in line, you know, at the food, at the food line or whatever. But um, no, and I feel really fortunate to be in that position, and it's what I want to continue to do is just where I can. I mean, when you take a look at that PM Sunday schedule, the first mm-hmm. guys from Australia. So just uh, just we just talked about the festival. Tell us a little bit about PM Sunday. PM so. Sundays is a concert series that takes place on Sunday afternoons. Um, once a month between September and April in this church in Richmond, Vermont, the Richmond Congregational Church. 175 people. We've been doing this for about four or five years. And this year, the show we've got opening up is Joe Robinson, who opens for Tommy Emmanuel on tour. He's an amazing Mm -hmm. guitarist. And I just happened to call his manager. He happened to be in Buffalo the night before, and he's coming over for that show. And then the act below him is from Norway. The acts below him are from Canada. So we've got uh, Mil- Milpon Moon Milpon from Norway. Moon. They're a duo from Norway that I saw at this conference in Stanford, Connecticut two mm-hmm. years ago and loved him. And they're coming. And then... Um, uh, Wendell and Wheat. Wendell and Wheat are Canadian. They're, again, an act that I saw that I really loved that nobody knows. But I trust them. And my audience has been really trusting. Mm-hmm. They finally are coming out, not necessarily knowing who the acts are but then you'll see like Session Americana is pretty well known um, oh who else oh the uh, uh, Rhythm Future Quartet Rhythm Future Quartet played at the Lane series last year they're kind of a high end energy well um, very established gypsy jazz band oh nice um, End of America is another group that I saw mm-hmm. last year I th- their timing of their name couldn't be better <laughs> uh, uh, yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, well, you probably best get them in soon, actually, because you, yes. by the end of this weekend, we could, we, uh, we uh, could God be knows. In, the, in the... I'm afraid to listen to the radio. But, um, but yeah, there are artists, for the most part, that I trust people will enjoy. Uh, some of them are known names. I had Tony Trishka last year, who's probably one of the biggest banjo players on the planet, but he's a friend, and he decided to come over here from Pennsylvania for the mm-hmm. day, and we did a show. We did a... Um, Workshop. I love to do workshops in conjunction with some of the violin stores in town, and Advance has done some things in conjunction with our shows. Um, so, um, how was it you managed to get this church space? And also, was it something that you were looking for specifically because of the acoustics, or was it something kind of just dropped in your lap? Ironically, the, the first show that I ever did was with Daryl Anger. Uh, Daryl has been David Grisman's band back in the 70s, and He's kind of state-of-the-art at Berkeley, and he approached me about doing a Sunday afternoon show, and I had no idea where to do it. And there's this wonderful library in Richmond that actually came about as a result of a donation from Trey Anastasio. They ended up turning the space into this beautiful performance area, but it was very lively. You Mm -hmm. couldn't deaden the sound at all. And I had one show that sold out with 10 days to go, and the church that I ended up in across the street has 50 more seats, same parking lot, larger area for people to congregate, the same fee. So we moved everything across the street. And we've been there since. And uh, the sound is phenomenal in there. It's really 
People really enjoy playing there. It's a church, sweet spot. Church is not to do the acoustics. Come on, come to a show, man. Uh, I'll put you on the guest I'm list. I'm very tempted. <laughs> um, let's talk about a couple of the other, the other events that you also put on. Uh, so you got the Zen Barn Studio Sessions and the Zen Barn Series. Right. So I'm assuming these are in the same place. They're actually in two different spaces within the Zen Barn. Okay. Have you been down to the Zen Barn? I have not been to the Zen Barn, so please tell me about the Zen Barn first of all. The Zen Barn used to be what's known as Tanglewood's Restaurant. Mm-hmm. And these two brothers bought it. And it's this beautiful space that has a bar, dining room area. They hired away the head chef from Edson Hill Manor, which is one of the best restaurants up on the Stowe Mountain Road. They've been knocking it dead with reviews for the restaurant. But they contacted me when I had this one Tony Trishka and said, can we have him play? And I said, unfortunately, no. You want to maintain what's known as a... um, an exclusivity radius mm-hmm. around an artist. So I can't book something that Higher Ground is doing within a six-month period with okay. the same act. Yeah, no, I can understand that. They've got a guarantee. they got to pay. But they liked what I was doing at the Zen Bar, and they said, would you like to put on some shows here? So I am doing six concerts downstairs in the bar area where the act is going to be, quote-unquote, a little more competition with the incidental nature of whatever's going on there, mm-hmm. restaurant, whatever. But the Zen Barn is the Zen Barn because the wife of one of the two owners is a yoga instructor, meditation person, and Mm -hmm. she has this beautiful, beautiful space that we're going to isolate and do listening room events, which is essentially there is no incidental anything. Mm -hmm. You're coming in, you're going to sit down, you're going to listen to some really great music. So it's a lot of duos and uh, solo acts, but again, really wonderful performers, a lot of them Berkeley-related acts. And those are on Tuesdays. And the thing that's great from the producer standpoint with a Tuesday is you can give people a room to play in, and they'll play for nothing. Mm-hmm. I'm not asking them to pay for no- play for nothing, but I'm giving them 90% of whatever we collect in donations. And they're happy to come and play, whereas on Friday or Saturday night, you yeah, pay them a guarantee. Exactly. You know? Mm-hmm. And the other thing that's great about the Zen Barn, if you go online, there is a five-bedroom Airbnb attached to the space, and they give it to the artists. Oh, wow. So you come, That's a great boon for the artists. You eat, you drink, you go upstairs and crash. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, I mean, and it's in a very picturesque area it's, of Vermont, it's so it's right kind of like you go on a little vacation. If you were getting off at the exit for 100 going up to Stowe, there's Ben and Jerry's on the left. Mm-hmm. Immediately after that on the right is Guptill Road, and you can see what is the Zen Barn right there. And they have their own series of stuff. They have a big show tonight, actually, with um, the Nth Power um, out of New York, who are a great funk band. And so these guys are kind of um, trying everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to put as little skin in the game as I can. Yeah. Um, and we're kind of giving this a shot. Um, so see is, how it goes. is this something that just started this year then? It's just starting in September, yeah. Okay. Lonely Heartstring Band's the first show there in September 14th, I think. And yeah. um, so how do you recruit these bands? You said previously that you, you're going to the Edinburgh Fringe and you're going to uh, uh, another festival in Norway. Denmark. Denmark, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Uh, is, is it just those... I mean, is it because you just go on vacation a lot and you go specifically to these kind of places? Or, or are you just uh, your person that just sits online all day just clicking through new music? All of the above. Okay. Um, there's this conference in Kansas City that I mentioned. And then they have these regional conferences throughout the U.S. that are tied into this larger organization, which is known as Folk Alliance. The one in Stanford, which is in November, is known as NERFA, or Northeast Regional Folk Alliance. And that focuses on artists and venues within New England, New York, Pennsylvania, and Ontario. Mm -hmm. So it's 
a little more concentrated in terms of the people that show up. A lot of the same people that go to Kansas City. But it's a chance for you to play in front of the guys that are doing, uh, what is it, Grand Points North or whoever goes. You'll see people from the Flynn. You'll see people from the Lane Series. You'll see all of these presenters throughout this region show up at this for the purpose of getting full exposure to all these artists who want to be given consideration. Mm. So it's, um, it's pretty intense. I literally cut and paste every single artist into YouTube, and I give them 10 seconds. Yeah. If they hook here, I'm either in or I'm out. Okay. And if I'm kind of like a publisher that reads the first paragraph and then that's it. The dark and lonely night, right? Um, But they then have um, these schedules. They have what they call formal showcases. There's there's only 190 formal showcases, and those are the people that have essentially been vetted to warrant being in this room of 125 people, silent and very um, focused. Whereas they have these guerrilla showcases that take place starting at 10 o'clock at night in 60 rooms in the hotel simultaneously, and every 20 minutes they change until 3.30 in the morning. And there's a spreadsheet where you can go and see so-and-so, and you can find out that, oh, they're playing 10 times. And that's the other thing, is you're trying to show yourself as many times as you can. Mm-hmm. So as a presenter, I can see, oh, I've only got one option. If I want to see this guy, i got to go there. Mm-hmm. But... Oh, he's playing the same time as this other one. He's got another showcase some other time. I'll see that then. You go there with a lot of great intentions. And there's a lot of serendipity that happens. Kind of like going to any festival, though, really. I mean, a lot of times I've gone with a full schedule mapped out for myself. And I've got drunk and I've ended up in the tent that I've no idea where I am. Right, right, right. See see the best band I've ever seen in my life. Exactly. Little did you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, is it, so I'm guessing there's quite... I've never heard of this kind of... Uh, I've never heard of this kind of underground group of people who go and see folk bands in, in hotels and it all sounds very organized and uh, almost cultish. Not to be, you know... Being, what is a the bit word? cultish. Cultish? Yeah, I mean, it all seems like very... Not, not in a kind of a negative sense, more of a... It's a group of people, a group of bands who play in these various different hotels and a group of people go to watch them, people like yourself. Um, And I've I've never heard of this kind of thing happen before. They have a number of these conferences. They have jazz conferences. They have this one in New York called APA. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember what the acronym is, uh, the abbreviation is, but it's every, it's jazz, it's uh, rock, it's heavy metal, it's bluegrass and they play in multiple venues all over the city mm-hmm. and that's probably the biggest one the most expensive one to go to the the possibility that you'll be seen by the most professional outfits but it gives all these venues and all these artists the opportunity to do one-stop shopping mm-hmm. just to come to one place and, and is it a lot of booking agents and yep. a lot of booking agents and- managers um booking agents are <laughs> i was a booking agent for a short period of time you don't want to do that uh, I got offered a job actually doing a booking agent oh, position man. and I, it didn't look... I hated the idea great. of being responsible for these people's careers. I hated it, you know. You get these romantic visions of mm-hmm. you being the one to put them on the map and then, what do you got for us today, Don? Yeah. Nothing, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's so... But yeah, managers, uh, web developers. Um, I actually found my accountant there. Oh, interesting. Because he did all the books for some of the clubs in Boston, and he had a history of working with um, acts, and so he put all my QuickBooks together for me. 
Do you run into a lot of the same people over and over again at these places? Yeah, yeah. Some new ones on occasion, but um, there are definitely relationships that you develop and uh, people you seek out. And sometimes in the off-season, we communicate. We have a Facebook page that we communicate through, and um, and you run into people at festivals. Um, I go to stuff during the summer. I actually don't do a heck of a lot. I try to shut down in the summer, but I go to... Um, fresh grass down at Mass Mocha, mm-hmm. and um, there's other ones like Gray Fox, Falcon Ridge. These are all bluegrass festivals, um, and I just I have to stay away for a certain part of time, period of time. So I, I've got to ask. So you started putting on the festival in 2006, and prior to that, you didn't really put on gigs. No. What, what was what was the spark? What was the you know the the moment where you woke up in the morning like? Right, I got a big front lawn. And I love live music. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick on a festival. What was that moment? It almost makes me feel like I fed you that question. <laughs> um, do you know who Levon Helm is? Levon Helm. He was in the band. Oh, I know the band. Okay. Yeah. And Levon was the drummer. And he had a house in Woodstock, mm-hmm. New York. And for the last 15, 20 years before he died, he ran a monthly concert called The Midnight Ramble. Mm-hmm. And essentially it was, you were one of 90 people to be in his living room with his band and Dr. John, Elvis Costello, Emmy Lou Harris. You were in this private setting. You paid 100 bucks to be there. It was a big potluck. Mm-hmm. And I just got blown away by that opportunity to witness that, the intimacy of it. Just reminding me how much I love live music, and I thought about doing a house concert in my living room. Did you go to one of these yourself? I did. Oh wow! Yeah, it was down in Woodstock. That's pretty special. It was great. It was funny because uh, only ninety people go, and I invited ten guys from like New York, Rochester, Western Mass. We all converged, and we went, and um, it was pretty special. It was pretty sweet. He's he was a wonderful guy, Um, and actually, Amy Helm, his daughter, now has a career of her own. But it was the thing definitely that got me off the mark. And um, I remember looking at my own living room. I could get about 17 people in there. But if you could see right out my front window, you'd see I have this big open field in front of me. And there's Camel's Hump. And I'm like, this is the place. So we brought in staging and lighting. And I had a big, uh, I had a lot of food vendors. Uh, it was just a one-day thing. And it was, uh, it was funny because a lot of people, why should I pay 25 bucks to come to your front yard? I'm like, if you don't like it, I'll pay you back. Try it. <laughs> and I really prided myself, mainly because of my experience in New York, on understanding production and doing a first-class job. And that always was important. And if you Google Valley Stage on YouTube, there's hundreds of stuff. And some of it's pretty damn good. Um, we actually got, like, Anais Mitchell early on. And um, trying to think who else. But it was that was the thing, is having those relationships with Vermont Axe mm-hmm. that you could get them to come out and they really enjoyed it so that was kind of what kicks things off but then when I retired I said I can't afford to do this anymore and that's what resulted in this Um, the thing that's great about this Tom is there's like a ritual to it every month Mm -hmm. you have another event another month there's this reciprocity from the community for your effort yeah and it's wonderful uh, and, it's, and i'm guessing it's not quite as big as a uh, task of putting on an entire festival even if it's, it's just for a one day event one day uh, subject um, to the weather yes and it's one day with, with seven or eight different bands and the food vendors etc whereas this is once a month or once a week it's really easy to do and it's uh it's yeah turnkey 
You've already got the venue kind of already sorted. All the logistics are already kind of in place. My sound guy comes in. He gets a stage plot a few days in advance. Mm-hmm. We go in a couple hours early, do a sound check, do the show, done. And it's, yeah, it's no, no heavy lifting. Yeah. Uh, you say kind of ritualistic. It's fitting that you're doing it in a church, really, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's my church. <laughs> so, yeah, it's your service right. for the week. Um, well... I wish you all the best, um, and thank you so much for coming in and explaining all this. And my pleasure, telling us the history about how it all got going. That's I really, really appreciate the opportunity, Tom. Thanks. Um, um, and, and once again, you've got this uh, film, The Shopkeeper, playing on. Sorry, it's on Friday. There we go. At the uh, Burlington Center for the Arts, which is right next to Contoys, there mm-hmm. on Church Street, seven o'clock. There is an admission of ten dollars. And uh, we encourage people to stick around after the fact to share their own experiences of being in the music industry. Well, there we go. And there is also the Zenbarden Studios um, sessions, which start in uh, September 19th. Uh, Great Gordy and Ross Martin. Yeah. Grant Gordy and Ross Martin, the first uh, act there. And then we've got the second Thursdays at the Zenbarden series. Uh, Lonely Heartstring Band, the first uh, band to play then. Um, On the 14th. Yeah. And we've got John Ro- uh, Joe Robinson, Joe Robinson. Uh, for PM Sundays, which that will be the church in Richmond. He's sick. Uh, yep, yeah, <laughs> excellent guitarist from what I've heard. Yeah. Um, and that starts on the 17th of September. So um, anyone listening, go check it out. Thanks. Um, and Don. check out valleystage.net if you want to get all the details. And then valleystage.net if you, for further details. Don, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. And uh, as I said, wish you all the best. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks a lot, man.